Turn your Bible to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 15. If my head weren't tied on, Luke chapter 15. When I was in elementary school, I left jackets and coats and hats and gloves and trumpets, not to mention school books, from here to Kalamazoo. Every day when I would come home, my mother would note the missing objects, a daily inventory. The interrogation would begin. Howie, where's your coat, son? And what about those gloves? Well, uh, about those gloves. My poor mother would get in the car and chase down yellow school buses, trying to get trumpets that had been left when I had exited the bus. And I was actually considered the stock boy for the schools lost and found because I made continual, countless contributions. On more than one occasion, my mother said in a less than delightful tone, Son, you would lose your head if it weren't tied on. If my head weren't tied on. Thank goodness my head was tied on. I've tried to envision a headless body, of course, no eyes, trying to grope around, trying to find the head and put it back on. It's not a good image. Thank goodness the Lord tied my head on. Today, we're going to talk about lost things, a lost sheep and a lost coin. John F. Kennedy said there was once a legendary baseball player who never failed to get a hit at bat. He never dropped a ball or missed a grounder. He threw with unerring accuracy. And on the base pass, he had the speed and grace of a leopard. In fact, he would have been one of the all-time greats, except, except for one thing. No one was ever to get, able to get him to put down his beer and his hot dog and come out of the stadium and actually play the game. He was the grumbler in the stands who always knew how to do it right. Well, in our story in Luke 15, there are grumblers in the stands. Look at verse 2. And both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. The Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling at Jesus. This man receives sinners and eats with them. That's what prompted Jesus to tell the parable, the parable of lost things. And these parables clarify Jesus' association with sinners, invite the Pharisees to come and enjoy the delight, the rejoicing, the joy of God, the joy that God finds when the lost are found. Rather than get into an immediate debate with the cynics and critics, Jesus tells them a story. In fact, there are three stories, and today we'll look at two. 15.3, and he told them a parable saying. Now, actually, you know, there are three parables that follow, but Luke only uses a singular. He told them a parable, which is a sign that all three parables are one vehicle carrying one message. 
He told them a parable, three parables, but one message in the midst of the three. Today we look at the first two. Jesus preaches the good news. And tax collectors and sinners are drawing near to him. Look at verse 1. Now all the tax gatherers and the sinners were coming near to him to listen to him. Jesus preaches good news. And those pushed to the margins of that culture, the tax gatherers and the sinners, they're all interested in forgiveness and good news. And so they come to listen to Jesus. And the grumblers take notice that the congregation is not the fittest and the finest who are hearing the messages. Now, these aren't the tax barons. These are the guys who actually go and collect the tolls, the tariffs, the imposts, and the customs. They were drawn from the ranks of those who were so desperate that they were willing to engage in a dishonorable profession in order to survive in their culture. And they collected more than their official fees. They had a little markup margin that they put in their pocket, so much so that John the baptizer, when he preached to them, he told them, do not collect any more taxes than are actually due. They would bid the job low and then add a little bit to everybody's tab on the tax and put the difference in their pocket. In fact, we move forward in Luke's gospel, Luke 18 the Pharisee lumps together tax gatherers with evildoers and adulterers and sinners. So tax gatherers weren't thought too highly of in those days. They were like robbers, so to speak. Well, notice how the Pharisees began. This man, verse 2, receives sinners and eats with them. Don't even call him by name. This one, yours may say, this man we're translating today's language, that guy. Dishonoring Jesus by not calling the rabbi by his name, that guy receives sinners, tax gatherers, and he preaches to them. Perhaps somewhere echoing in the back of the mind of these Pharisees were passages of Scripture like Psalm 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk and step with the wicked or stand in the way of the sinners or sit in the company of of mockers. But yet Jesus, despite Psalm 1, clearly receives sinners. He welcomes them. He sits down and he eats with them. He hosts them. Now the Pharisees had worked hard to garner their status. They were holy lay people. They kept all the law and they did not need a new rabbi coming and tearing down the boundaries that well, threatened their status and their position in that culture as being so admired by the population. So they let Jesus know right away, we do not appreciate the fact that you yourself are sitting down with sinners and eating. Mealtimes tell you who's in and who's out. Who gives invitation and who doesn't. Mealtimes tell you who made the list and who got cut. That was true then, in some ways it's true now. If you could go to any high school and go to the cafeteria, you could, there's a sociological grouping of people in the cafeteria, and you could tell who was who by the high school cafeteria. It was true all the way back in the first century. You should not be breaking bread with sinners. Look who you're eating with, the Pharisees 
grumble. Knowing their hearts, Jesus pauses and tells them three parables. First of all, he tells them a parable about a shepherd who has a hundred sheep and one, 99 are in the pasture, but one has wandered away. Wouldn't he leave the 99 in the pasture and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he finds it, he puts it on his shoulders and he carries it back to the flock. And then he calls his friends and his neighbors and he says, rejoice with me. I have found the sheep that was lost. I tell you, Jesus says, in the same way, there'll be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Have you noticed how much joy is in this parable, these parables? Look at verse 5, the last word, rejoicing. Verse 6 in the middle, rejoice. Verse 7 at the beginning there, joy. Verse 9, rejoice in the center. Verse 10, joy in the center. Rejoice, joy, rejoice, joy, rejoice, joy. Isn't there rejoicing when that which was lost is found? A common image of ancient Israel's relationship with her God was that of a shepherd and a flock. Knowing their Old Testament, they knew the image that God is always a shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. That image his rod and his staff, they comfort me. God is the shepherd of the story. In fact, there was a rabbinic legend regarding Moses' call. While Moses was in the wilderness watching after his father-in-law Jethro's flock that a young lamb ran away and Moses left all the, the flock and he went and found the little lamb there by a stream that was getting a drink and he said, oh, I didn't know you were thirsty. And he picks up the lamb and he carries it back to the flock. And then God says to Moses, because you have mercy leading the flock of a mere man, you will become the shepherd over my flock, Israel. There are all sorts of images of God and God's leaders being shepherds. A good shepherd would never leave a lost sheep lost. A good shepherd would never say, hey, you win some, you lose some, I still got 99. We won't worry about the one, we'll just let him go. Maybe he'll find the flock again. He realizes that a sheep is missing, and a missing sheep matters. And he goes, and he searches. Now, when we used to fly on airplanes, you remember they counted. They come through and they count. Uh, I know one particular airline always counts. You see her doing this, and she counts. And then at the end, they want to make sure. Can you imagine an airline saying, the, the chief's flight attendant saying, you know, we've got 99% uh, that are still on the plane from when we took off. And, you know, given our industry's record lately, that's pretty good. I think we'll take the 99%. Don't worry about Ms. Jones or where she is. Who knows what happened to Ms. Jones during the flight. But we landed safely with 99%. That's good, isn't it? No, 99% is awful for one on the plane is lost. 
This parable portrays the one as more important than the 99. Their high emotions that a sheep has been lost. Something's value becomes heightened when it's lost. Bishop Roy Nichols tells a story of a young mother who was having difficulty in her journey of life, and she made an appointment to go and see a psychiatrist. And the depth of the analysis of her life, he asked her, of your three children, which of your children do you love the most? Of your three children, which of your children do you love the most? She replied, I love all of my children the same. Come on now, said the psychiatrist. You can't love all three children exactly the same. She said, yes, that's right, I do. I love all my children the same. He reacted assertively. Come off it, woman. It's psychologically impossible for anyone to regard any three human beings exactly the same. If you're not willing to level with me about the feelings you have for your children, then we might as well terminate our session right now. The young woman broke down and cried and said, you're right. I don't love all of my children the same. One of my children is sick. I love that child the most. One of my children is in pain or lost in life. I love that child more. And when one of my children is wayward, I mean doing really bad, I love that child more. Except for those provisions and exceptions. Yes, I do love all my children the same. But the one who's lost or hurting. I love the most for the moment. God is like the good shepherd. God is like the mother. He loves the lost child. He goes to seek the one who needs the shepherd, the Savior. God loves us while we are yet sinners, giving us the gift of his Christ. Stubborn sheep sometimes refuse to budge. He finds that Lamb, that sheep, could be about 70 pounds, throws it over his shoulder and carries it back to the flock. And he says, rejoice. He tells us there's more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous who need no repentance. Rejoice. Calls his neighbors and says, rejoice with me. Now, one commentator said in the first century, in order for joy to be real in a communal society, then it must be shared. It's the same way today, isn't it? You let a high school kid get that first car, they don't just sit and look at it in their driveway. They go and show their friends, do you want to ride in my new car? Rejoice with me. Do you know the joy of finding the lost, that God cares about the lost, that God wants all to be found and all to be saved. I received a phone call one Wednesday night at 10.30. I don't receive phone calls from the youth staff on Wednesday nights at 10.30 to talk about the batting averages of the Texas Rangers. They knew it had to be a pretty serious phone call. Pastor said the youth staff, we do not want to alarm you, but we've been looking for CJ, a student at the time, for a couple of hours, but CJ is nowhere to be found. 
We're locking up the church and going home with no CJ. He was here. Parents don't know where he is. We don't know where he is. Shutting out the lights, locking up. We're hoping, just hoping, that he found a ride home with a friend, didn't tell his parents about the change of plans, so when the parents get home, CJ will be there, and it'll all be okay. I tossed and I turned in my bed with my phone in my hand, knowing that any moment I would get the call from Bradley or I'll get a call from Earl, CJ's father, and they would tell me, we found CJ. He just called a ride home and everything's okay with CJ. And in fact, I tried to write a hundred good endings to CJ's story in my mind during that time. You have been there. And in every scenario I created, CJ was okay. I called his mom. Does you know anything? I had to hear no, Pastor, we told you we'd call you if, when, if CJ shows up. I could not go to sleep. I couldn't take it anymore. I called the youth staff and I said, I know y'all looked. I'm going down to the church myself. They said, we'll go back with you. His dad came back. We all went through this building. And I know you find comfort in this building, but I've been in this building at 2 a.m. when all the lights are off. And I'm telling you, if CJ's in the building, there are a lot of rambling radiators around here, and there are a lot of stairwells and little doors, and I don't know that I've been all those little doors even yet after 25 years. There's lots of real estate here in 300,000 square feet, and well, we just started searching and banging and shouting and hollering at CJ, hoping that we would find him somewhere because he had never showed up at home. And then Bradley Maven came up with a brilliant idea, let's set off the fire alarm on purpose, and that'll make more noise than we can make. And so I was punching in the code to set the alarm, and then we were going to go run through the hallways and set it off. But all of a sudden, as I was punching the buttons, I heard Earl CJ's father saying, Son, where have you been? During one of the youth activities, CJ was tired. He wandered off to one of those Sunday school rooms that has a room within a room that has a couch within a room within a room. And he fell into a dead sleep for four hours, a four-hour nap at our expense, a four-hour nap. Finally, on that second run through the hallways of First Baptist Church, he heard the pounding, and there he was. Can you imagine me that night saying, well, I hope CJ's okay. I'm just going to go to bed and... Well, maybe in a day or two, he'll turn up. Can you imagine your pastor reacting that way? Can you imagine Earl and Vinny saying, well, you know, we've got other kids and we won't worry that much about CJ. And they do have other kids, quite a few. No. There's a passion for the lost. Do you have a passion for the lost? He tells another story in verses 8 and 9. There's a woman. The woman has 10 coins. She loses a coin. What's she going to do? Say, I got 90% of my savings. I'm not going to worry about it. No, she's going to light her lamp. She's going to, it's a small house, easy. One lamp lights the whole house. Just little slits for the windows. It's, it's not a, a, a fancy abode. It's just a humble hut. She lights her lamp and she sweeps and she searches until the drachma is found. It is worth the price of a sheep, one coin, and she finds it. 
In verse 7 and 10, the same thing again. There is rejoicing in heaven. There is joyous laughter. Look at verse 10. In the same way, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The angels are jumping for joy because that one that was lost has been found. God rejoices when sinners repent and come home. If a shepherd will worry that much and work that hard to recover a sheep, if an old woman will sweep the house to search for the one coin that's missing, God is not happy until all his children are found and accounted for, until all sinners repent, and then God rejoices. God rejoices. Do you have a burden? to search for the lost. Quickly and firstly, the Pharisees looked down on sinners, but God looked for sinners. The Pharisees looked down on sinners, but God, playing the role of the shepherd and the woman, God looks for sinners. The third parable, he really looks for sinners, but that's not today. And once he finds them, God rejoices. There's dancing in heaven over one called home to the kingdom of God. Second thing, God takes the initiative. The lamb didn't come wandering back. The shepherd goes to the lamb. The coin didn't try to jump in the cup. The woman sweeps for the coin. Ezekiel himself in Ezekiel 34 announced that God would take over the role of the shepherd and would seek the lost sheep and bring back the stray. God takes the initiative. And when Jesus is looking for the lost, Jesus is taking no action less than the action of God. And Jesus plays the role of God himself as Jesus, the rabbi, the Messiah, looks for that which is lost. If you're lost today, God's looking for you. If you've wandered away from the flock, the shepherd is searching the hillside. If you're the coin that's fallen under the couch, God is going to sweep until he finds you. Grace is first. God initiates. Repentance comes because God's grace is already poured out, and that which is lost is found. Thirdly and finally, you notice all the prejudices in this story? Shepherds were considered like gypsies in that culture. That's why it's surprising in the birth narrative that shepherds received the word first because they're so low in status in that culture. They're like gypsies. They put their animals in another man's pasture, and they have sticky fingers as they travel through the countryside. They couldn't give testimony in a court of law. No one thought much of shepherds, but God is the shepherd. Not only the shepherd discriminated against us, certainly women in that culture were discriminated against, and What's God doing? God is like the woman who looks for the lost coin. The shepherd is not inferior. The woman is not inferior. Both are like a God who is looking for that which is lost. 
Are you looking for the lost? Are you praying for the lost? Are you willing to leave the flock, the comforts of the hallways of the church, the familiar, familiar pastor, and seek the one that's wandered away? Do you understand the magnitude of lostness? How God is like I was when CJ was not found. He is sleepless and he tumbles and he tosses because he wants to find the one who is lost. Lost and separated from God's salvation. God cares about the lost. And God's church must care about the loss. There's lost folks in the midst of our pandemic who have open ears and are willing to hear like never before. They need something new. They need hope and grace. They need a tomorrow and forgiveness. Are you willing to be God's shepherd and go look for the lambs? Are you willing to be God's old woman with a broom and sweep until the coin shows up? And when we find them, Luke tells us the angels in heaven will dance. Let us pray. Oh God, may we have your burden for lost people. In Jesus' name, amen.